0: I still recall from the books I read all the great
1: empires built in my head. But every year I raise one more, I pour it out at a war dropped off. But I, I'm, I'm still seeking something.
2: Hello and welcome to a troubling episode of Seeking Tumness, the podcast where you put the lotion on its skin. <laughs> I mean, we squeal, piggy! Damn it! I mean, where we, very normal human types, read, then review the freshest, most happening young adult fiction. On alternate episodes, of course, we dredge up books like this instead. <laughs> <laughs> Not a proper snorted My name is Laurie, and I'm joined <laughs> By my fellow hosts The crazy, the kill, kill, kill Blood-curdling Keith Rowe Hello The bloody, the berserk, and the bizarre Brie
3: Bonjour
2: The perturbing, the psychotic <laughs> The petrifying
1: Patrick Moon Probably not helping my case with, like grunting and snorting through the intro
2: yeah hi this episode keith has scoured the far reaches of the globe with great persistence and moderate success to uncover the last remaining copies of a book that is shockingly out of print and more astoundingly unavailable in ebook format to my knowledge how can this be you ask in anguish as the blood drains from your shocked faces It's a mystery we may or may not solve this episode as we discuss Master of Moida by Christopher Pike. Before we spoil this book that you've got Buckley's chance of seeing in your local bookstore, a warning.
0: I can't keep this brief, so I won't be lying. King this is not, but it's greater than a stein. For the writing of Pike is rich with spice. Girls and boys both find it a vice. No doubt there will be some clueless riposte, flowing like waterfalls (laughs) from our lovable host. (laughs) Whatever the case, when evil bespoke, a monster lurks inside most folk, especially those lacking TLC. But that's okay, as long as you love me. Ignore my advice, and your blossom will stasis; elsewise, be revived by a nourishing oasis. It's much better, you see, if we're all in sync with Marvin's love of all that's pink. What you ought to know: our spoilers are remiss. Want to avoid them? Then you can't touch this. It may just be Titanic, Pulp Fiction, a matrix of a teenager's want for friction. This is a tale far from the usual suspects A wannabe lover with muscles to flex Your sixth sense may fill you with fear or dread But worry not, for this book is quite simply read Dazed and confused, dumb and dumber Our protagonists miss Quaid and M. Summer He's a grade-A creep, you might like him a smidge Until he's left there swinging under the bridge Our Shelley, she moves in mysterious ways To the ghost of her ex, I want you back, no delays because everybody hurts when love is not true, and our hero decides if he'll terminate her too. I bet by now you can't (laughs) hardly wait for this American beauty with a scream on a date. Smells like teen spirit with a bare-naked lady, from the bubble she stands up like the real Slim Shady. More than friends with twin peaks she charmed, but she's no angel and she's most likely armed. It's the end of the road for Shelley, crazy but fine. Despite cruel intentions, she can claim... The boy is mine.
3: Oh, my God.
1: Jesus Christ. Would have been better with a Cockney accent.
3: (laughs) I need a list. I need that to be printed out so I can go back and revisit the prime of my years, which is the 90s. From top to bottom, I'm starting with Can't Hardly Wait. Jennifer Love Hewitt, man, in a pale blue singlet and a short skirt.
0: (laughs) She's persisted. Has she persisted?
1: Like, I can't even picture who that is in my brain. I'm probably going to get shouted down for that
3: comment. Oh, you're too young.
0: She's been in quite a few shows.
3: The ghost one. What's the ghost thing?
0: Yeah, the ghost whisperer is in. That was Patrick Swayze that you're thinking of, (laughs) (laughs)
2: Bray.
3: No, that's Whoopi Goldberg you're thinking of, Pat.
0: (laughs) All fine 90s references. Keep them coming. That was in there. (laughs)
2: Oh, are we trying to pick them all? There were so
0: many.
3: Lion King, Sync, Pink. That boy is mine. That's going to stick with me too. Is that really 90s? God, I am old.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally.
3: Kate, that was brilliant.
1: I feel like the sledge on R.L. Stein slash Steen slash however you pronounce it was uncalled for. The Goosebumps books were phenomenal staples of my childhood.
0: Yeah, they're more childhood aligned than Christopher Pike tends to be though.
1: What's Christopher Pike aligned with?
0: Young adult. Definitely there's a difference there. With these and Stein books I think they get lumped together But it's not really retrospectively true
1: I was going to guess Homunculi that live in the garbage tip But (laughs) young adult sounds appropriate
3: too (laughs) (laughs) Did any of you read Morris Gleitzman?
2: Yeah, I read some I think I might have read a few, yeah Hmm. Wasn't he just like a second-rate Paul Jennings?
0: That's what I associate him
1: with I don't know I thought Paul Jennings was kind of a second-rate Paul Jennings (laughs) How dare you (laughs) Yeah, take that back
2: Agreed Sorry. What was it, like Thunderpants or something? Gold. No, Thunderpants was the Rupert Grint movie. Oh, he had something like that.
3: Unreal and unbelievable and all of those.
0: No, no, Glitzman.
3: Oh, Glitzman's two weeks with the Queen.
0: I thought there was some bodily movement style titles.
1: Yeah, there definitely was, 100%. Mm.
3: (laughs) We should be doing Glitzman, Keith.
0: I don't know if it's going to be well received and after this I might need something better received. (laughs) How dare you predict our ratings? Speaking of a movement,
1: should we do page one?
3: (laughs) I'm up. Hang on. Opening the page. Get your book. I picked up my e-reader this afternoon on the train to jog my memory and went, oh, damn.
1: It's from the time before electronic screens.
2: (laughs) Physical copy.
3: (laughs) I'm surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of physical copies of other things. Anyway, Marvin Summer sat in his English class watching the beautiful and wonderful Shelley Quaid. She was two seats up on his left, and she was reading a Mac Slate young adult thriller. She was, in fact, finishing the last book in Mr Slate's hysterically popular The Mystery of Silver Lake series. From the expression on Shelley's face, it looked as if she was really into the book. Up front, a student was reading her short story to the class. Not far away, their teacher, Mrs Jackson, was taking notes on a yellow pad and passing judgment on the student's story. But Marvin could see that Shelley was in another world – The world of Slate's mysteries where brave and beautiful girls, like Shelley herself, Marvin thought, single-handedly battled the forces of darkness. Marvin knew that world well. He was Mac Slate. He really was. He was one of the most popular writers in the country. His books sold millions of copies. He was only 17, still in high school, but already rich. Three of his books were currently being produced into movies. His series was the talk in malls and schools everywhere. Who killed Silver Lake's heroine, Anne McGaffer? There were many suspects. Had it been Anne's violent father, Bill McGaffer, or Anne's jealous boyfriend, Clyde Fountain? Or possibly Anne's disturbed younger brother, Harold McGaffer? No one knew. Not even Marvin Summer. The final instalment of his series was due now. His editor's calls were getting more desperate daily. If he didn't send in the manuscript soon, the book couldn't possibly be ready for a February release. Then the publishing house's whole advertising campaign would be screwed up. But Marvin hadn't even started on the book. He had no idea how the story was going to end. The pressure on him was intense. But that was only one of his problems.
1: Nice. I'm suitably intrigued. Yes.
3: Well, I was all like,
2: Do you? Doo, doo, doo. Well, the language is very, very simple in these opening paragraphs. It reads like a book for an 11-year-old, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> sorry, I'm just enjoying it already. I love it so much. I love Keith's episodes. <laughs>
2: Good. <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> Hold on to your hat, Patrick.
0: That's coincidentally when I read this book as an 11-year-old.
2: Yeah, but the simplicity doesn't match the content, which in my opinion, again, it's aimed a little older than 11. My snobbish nose uplifting at the language, though, is probably genius on the part of the author, who's sold a boatload of these books, and I suspect that ease of read was partially responsible for that. Anyway, for me, the klaxons were sounding at this point, and I wasn't sure if the horror would derive from plot or prose. What about you, Mr. Moon?
1: I wasn't quite as critical, I don't think. I liked it. It was a bit camp. It's pretty simple, but it is what it is. It's a little bit gross, too, in a kind of way. It's very ugly. It feels very hole drilled in the locker room wall, kind of. It has that vibe to it. But yeah, I was on board for that after that first page. Keith?
0: Yeah, it's funny you should mention that sort of hole in the locker room wall, which I think as an 11, 12-year-old when I was first reading this, it did have a bit of a salacious appeal. I didn't feel it through. You took a break from
1: the actual hole in the locker room wall that you were dwelling at <laughs> <laughs> to, to read a book.
0: <laughs> I feel like this has gone way off track, but I didn't find that in the first couple of pages, but I was a little bit worried about the simplicity of the writing, but I wasn't really expecting it to be this complex book so I wasn't judging it with the same critical assessment that it seems Laurie has so far
1: I'm with you there I don't think it needs sirens based on the language quite at that point I think that's premature
3: yeah I agree
0: we'll save those for later
3: I agree that it's a little bit ogly. I hate that about what they say about even just the way that they're positioning this young girl early on, it just grates me. But is that read with my adult mind? Maybe I wouldn't have, I would have just glossed over it. And that's the problem with our society. People shouldn't just gloss over these things.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, should kids be reading things that your adult mind goes, Ooh
3: No, <laughs> they shouldn't. It's not right. It's just an awkward start. The kid's kinda arrogant. It's just a bit yuck.
0: I guess I have two responses to that. Already. <laughs> I love it. Geek goes on the
2: defensive. <laughs> I do. I really we're can't always... help it. I never intend to. <laughs> yeah, we're always just like, oh, okay, fair enough.
3: Remember, we're only referring to the first page.
0: Well, I'm just wondering, Twilight, we saw basically the opposite of this when Edward came to town, the way that Bella ogled him and looked at him from a distance as this... Remarkably good-looking boy
2: mm, We love that book It's also
3: awful Their relationship is also disgraceful and violent and borderline abusive So,
0: Yeah, but we don't have that here
1: Not at this stage anyway I don't think when you're kind of analysing Misogyny in writing or in society, or I don't think it's quite as simple as just flipping the genders and saying if it was the other way around, it wouldn't get called out or whatever. Because, like, mm, no, it doesn't really matter. Like, I don't live in fear of being sexually assaulted every day, <laughs> it's just mm. the way it is. Like, so it doesn't matter. I think you have to take into consideration the fact that men and women have traditionally had a pretty different experience of life and of gendered violence, and that has to play into this kind of thing to some extent.
0: Yeah, I can't dispute that, but I don't think this book is operating on that level, and maybe that's something that it should have been doing, but I don't know whether that was so apparent at the time that this book was written either.
3: Which is the problem?
1: Christopher Pike, you've been called out.
0: (laughs) But my next question was, have you not ever in high school looked on someone else in your class and thought, well, geez they're good-looking or attractive or sort of had a crush on someone? Is that not a normal thing to do?
3: Yeah, of course. But I think it didn't have to be written into the first couple of pages, and it didn't have to come across quite so wet dream style. Pat, you said it really well in terms of ogling.
1: I think I used the very loquacious term ogly, which is ogly. all the all the, <laughs> all the most literate people on the planet use, <laughs> <laughs> use that term.
2: Was it though? Was it written that way? Can you tell me which sentence particularly seemed like that? Because I didn't remember mentioning butts or breasts or anything like that I thought he was just looking at her across the room Her Mm. reading his book To be fair, when you were reading it I was thinking, I'm sorry Miss Jackson Because that's, I think, 90s And that was the Mm. name of the teacher And also I thought the name Max Slate Any name that begins with Max, if it's a pseudonym It's definitely like a poor name (laughs) 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 Not that I'm familiar with such things I might be
1: reading in some of the later text, which is distinctly ogly. I agree. But straight away, it just dives into like what this girl... Beautiful. Looks like. Yeah. Brave and beautiful girls like Shelley herself.
0: Again, has that never been the case that you've noticed someone of whatever sex it happens to be that you prefer on a sexual level and... Admired their beauty. Is that a thing that can't be done? How
1: dare you ask me such a personal question, (laughs) Keith?
0: (laughs) I feel like we're one reading between lines that aren't yet here, and two, alienating human behaviour here. I mean, we can die on the first page, Hill, or we
1: can just get into the book proper. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just
0: wondering because it seems really strange that we've taken this very hard line in something. It's a boy in a class admiring a girl in a class.
3: This is how it's opened, right? So she's clearly going to be key to the story in some ways. And the first thing that he says, that she's beautiful and wonderful, spends an entire paragraph talking about her. From the look on her face... He says
2: brave and beautiful.
3: He says that further down. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. All he's doing is obsessing over this girl. It's just a bit creepy. And then the second thing that happens is that he talks about how wonderful he is, writing Max Slater books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It just puts... Two fairly good stereotypes of teenage literature and teenage nineteen nineties television shows and movies right into your mind.
0: Which is probably the intentions of the author.
3: <laughs> oh goody. Fantastic. Let's let's go that way. Who's doing the synopsis?
1: <laughs> I will synopsize
2: <laughs> this book. Do you want me to give you a better intro than that? Uh yeah. I like that.
0: Oh goody who's <laughs> doing the synopsis.
2: Pat, you've the dubious challenge of trying to condense the complicated story into a form that will take less than six months How'd you go? Uh,
1: Look, mixed success, actually I think uh, (laughs) I set the scene far too much and then briefly talked about the plot at the end So... For those of you who are unaware, which I can only assume is most of you, given its ignominious yanking from the printing press, Master of Murder is an uncannily buoyant lump of detritus fished from the stinking cesspool that <laughs> Keith generously terms his bookshelf. Ha <laughs> <laughs> As the resident warty troll of the ST crew, Keith will loiter day and night at this reeking trough until he's able to fish out a suitably malodorous lump of flotsam to dump on our plates, That's after which he will cackle harsh. and cackle and cackle no, no, as no, we wretch no, no. and kick our hapless legs against the floor upon its ingestion.
3: No, you're skipping into what you think of it. Come
1: on. I want to hear this. spray come on. This is great. More specifically, in anticipation of these complaints, it's a book about an 18-year-old prick named Marvin, a student moonlighting as a hotshot writer called Max Slate, author of mystery novels that seem more like cheap porn to my innocent mind, weaponized to best cater to a teenage audience who are young, dumb, and full of disposable income for discretionary purchases. (laughs) Marvin (laughs) has writer's bog, but begins to feel his juices flowing when his crush asks him to investigate her ex-boyfriend's suicide. Predictably, Marvin suspects our corpse didn't jump but was pushed Less predictably, he also becomes a homicidal maniac When he believes his lady love is getting her grind on with the local beefcake The latter half of the book is a primer on love, revenge, terrible characterization, And why you don't ever want to get into a hot tub Even to do sexy things with sexy people Thus ends my fair, (laughs) balanced and impartial synopsis Keith, maybe you could tell us why you inflicted this 200-page kick to the genitals upon we who are nominally your friends. (laughs) Was it 200 pages? It's more pages.
0: It's not a long book.
3: 188 pages.
0: Yeah, and that probably includes the first part of some of his other books. Before we move on, though, I'd like to add that there's an obligation here for all of us. So I want us to take this seriously due to the scarcity of this book To provide a level of context and detail with our discussion above and beyond that Which we normally provide oh. So I have to fill some of the blanks there that I suspected <laughs> Pat may have left with you, the plot You're, you're going to fill in the blanks about the nonsensical
1: parallels between the fictional world that he's written And the real world and the... Many things that just don't make any sense whatsoever that I like couldn't possibly contextualize in a synopsis because they were rubbish in the actual book,
0: I will summarize that and say, yes, there are some supernatural elements, supernatural elements, yes, okay. I'll also delve into not only the salient plot points but also the key theories on the history and motivations of the characters. <laughs> Some of the very (laughs) well-written fan fiction
1: that's come from this book The listeners can uh, download the accompanying PowerPoint to your presentation from our website (laughs) (laughs) Alright, I'm
0: not really going to do any of that Okay, so I was actually joking when talking about taking a deeper dive into this book But given this thing is as rare as hen's teeth And there was a rather skeletal synopsis provided I'm now going to give a more complete summary of this book between the towns of Cesar and Pella lies the Pella River. The only way to cross that river is an old train bridge, an antique collection of rusted steel support beams with aged, creaking wooden boards laid crossways as a surface. It was on this bridge that a series of brutal homicides took place. This is the case file of the Pella River Bridge Murders. <laughs> So we know 17-year-old Marvin is best-selling author Max Slate, but we don't know that his father is an abusive, alcoholic gambler who no longer lives with them, and his mother is a catatonic drunk. His younger sister Anne is the closest person to him, and in lieu of their parents, he looks after her. They dream of being able to rescue themselves from their situation, with the fortune Marvin has amassed from his writing. But the money must remain a secret until Marvin turns 18 in a few months, or else he risks it being squandered by his parents. Marvin's also in romantic turmoil. A year ago, he had gone on five dates with the beautiful Shelley Quaid. Just as their relationship seemed to be going to the next level, Harry Pastor, a classmate she had also been seeing, committed suicide. This immediately ends things between Marvin and Shelley. But with the year now gone by, Marvin takes the opportunity to ask her out, and she agrees. We get to take a look behind the scenes of being the hottest author in young adult fiction, with Marvin receiving loads of letters from adoring fans. Amongst the standard letters and the titillating ribald ones, he finds one with a postmark from his local town. When he opens it, it's a typed letter that says only, I KNOW WHO YOU ARE. Marvin picks up Shelley on his motorbike for their date, and after dinner and a movie in a neighbouring town, they make a stop on the antique bridge between the towns. There's some raunchy making out in the jacuzzi at Shelley's place before she reveals to Marvin that she wants him to investigate Harry's death. She's convinced that it wasn't suicide. Marvin receives another anonymous letter. This time it's been stuffed directly into his post office box. It reads, She doesn't love you the way you think she does. Marvin investigates Harry's death and begins to piece together a different set of circumstances. He wants to meet up with Shelley to discuss what he has found, but she's busy. At home, Marvin has a confrontation with his father, who turned up drunk looking for trouble. Afterwards, Marvin flees his house on his bike and when his anger has subsided, he stops in at the post office to find another anonymous letter. They are plotting to kill you as you read this. With more than a seed of doubt planted, he decides he should head to Shelly's house to find out why she couldn't see him that night. When he gets there, he sees Shelley in the hot tub with Triad, a muscular football playing jock who was Harry's best friend. He overhears Triad mocking him and Shelly tells Triad that she's stringing Marvin along to get him to do things for her. Devastated by the revelations, Marvin rides his motorbike until he finds himself back on the bridge. There he realises that a year ago, Harry had tried to set up a trap to kill him. He had rigged up a rope across the bridge that would bring Marvin's motorbike down, but in order to raise it at the right time, Harry had to stand on the side of the bridge and watch, waiting for his approach. Marvin deduces that while waiting, Harry must have slipped and hung himself from a support rope before eventually falling into the river. Still furious, Marvin comes up with a plan of his own. He'll sell his bike to Triad and kill Triad in the same way that Harry had planned to kill him. You following? He calls Triad and the deal is done. He delivers the bike to Triad without a helmet. He's left the helmet in a motel, on the other side of the bridge, and Triad will have to pick it up that night or else the manager will throw it out the plan is in motion. Marvin waits in hiding by the bridge. When he hears his old motorbike roar by, he knows it's time to set the trap. He finds himself on the outside of the bridge rails, out of sight, ready to raise the rope when Triad approaches. He hears the sound of the motorbike returning and raises the rope. At the last moment, he sees that it's not just Triad on the bike, it's also Shelley. Immediately, he drops the rope and calls out. Triad breaks hard, bringing the bike to a stop. A violent confrontation follows, where Triad throws Marvin from the bridge. He's saved only by a support rope. Shelley tells Triad that he shouldn't kill Marvin and that they should go to the police instead, but Triad wants Harry dead. Marvin realises that Shelley has set the whole situation up, after wrongfully suspecting that Marvin had killed Harry. Shelley reveals that she knows he's Max Slate. She's known all along. Marvin finally realises that it was Triad who killed Harry, but Shelley doesn't believe it and Triad is still refusing to go to the police. In a rage, he reveals that he was there when Harry died, and he smashes Shelley's head against the railing and goes after Marvin, who's still hanging beneath the bridge. Marvin manages to trick Triad and pull himself back onto the bridge, but Triad grabs Shelley and threatens to cut her throat if Marvin doesn't do what he says. Marvin calls the bluff and rides off on the motorbike to a nearby town to write the now overdue final book in his series. The events unfolding in his own life are providing the answers to the mystery in the series, and he writes all but the very ending of the book, with two characters left in a final confrontation on the bridge. Marvin decides to reveal his true identity to the world at a live reading at his school. His classmates and teachers are suitably shocked when they learn that plain old Marvin Summer is Max Slate. There's no sign of either Triad or Shelley at school, so Marvin still has no idea what happened on the bridge that night. In the epilogue, we learn that Shelley is alive and in an emotion-charged conversation, she fills him in on everything that happened. Shelley had been manipulating Marvin all along, sending him the letters, and she knew that he was watching and listening that night with Triad in the Jacuzzi. She was trying to confirm that Marvin had killed Harry by getting him to carry out the same plan on Triad, but now she knew the actual truth about what happened a year ago. Harry became jealous of Marvin dating Shelley and after a night of drinking with Triad, Triad suggested that they should kill Marvin. He revealed a plan to Harry to rig up a rope to kill Marvin, but didn't reveal that Shelley would be with him on the bike. Triad was also in love with Shelley, and if he couldn't have her for himself, then no one could have her. When Harry saw that Shelley was with Marvin on the bike, he dropped the rope and they drove by unknowingly. Triad pushed Harry from the bridge, where he hung and eventually died before falling into the river but what transpired on the bridge between Triad and Shelley after Marvin left them there? Shelley tells that she kissed Triad in order to disarm him, and without saying as much, she reveals that she killed Triad and that he's buried beneath them. Shelley and Marvin embrace in realisation of their twisted history, and Marvin writes the final pages of his book on the way to the airport from where they will be express delivered to his publisher in New York. (coughs) here's why I chose this book. In the early days of this podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to forage not only through my own bookshelf, but through that of my parents to find any meaningful stuff from my youth. The moment I saw the embossed metallic title on the cover of this with the striking art, some fragmented memories from this book came flooding back to me. Before this, I'd basically completely forgotten about the book, but now that it was back in my hands, I had this really strong urge to reread it. And I did, I think at the time, make mention of this to you guys. Shortly after, I realised that the book, as Laurie's mentioned already, is no longer in print and that there's no ebook version in existence either. I thought probably this would be the end of my pursuit to read this book in the context of Seeking Tumnus, as really when we can't read in unison, it doesn't play out well. So I moved on, basically gave up on my pipe dream of sharing this little slice of my youth with you guys, popped the book on my desk and moved on.
2: And then Brie made you read Little Women and you thought, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Little Women is a classic with many redeemable features
2: Doorstop
0: It couldn't be silenced that easily though From my desk it continued to call to me Honor But I couldn't just reread it myself Because that would immediately (laughs) preclude me from authentically nominating it for an episode And this for me was the quintessential Pike That's not really the case overall This isn't one of his more well regarded or better known books but at any length I searched a line and found that you could actually purchase used copies of the book And I did that in early January Ordering a couple of copies to be sent
1: I hope you didn't mortgage the house
0: <laughs> Well, I will say that the cost of the delivery Was about five times the cost of all three books <laughs> It wasn't that cheap a delivery But anyway We eventually got enough copies of the book that we could read it And after I'd hand-delivered the final copy to Pat After flying down to Melbourne to get it The Pike Dream became a reality what an
1: inspirational tale
0: yes it is (laughs) i'm actually a little apprehensive about finding out what the rest of you think of this book but probably not for the reasons that you think i won't be taking any of your thoughts here personally but i do know how busy we all are and i didn't really want to subject us to unnecessarily rubbish content at the same time it wouldn't have been authentic if i had reread it before deciding whether to proceed so, a little like a character in a pike book, I forged ahead with little guidance or reason. Will my pike dream become a nightmare? It's time for me to find out, even though I've had many spoilers already. <laughs> Bree, tell us all what you thought, please.
3: I was expecting it to be terrible, and it kind of was. But it's not necessarily for the reasons that we were talking about before. Like, it's cheesy and... It was written at a time that was known for effectively – I suppose it was the back end of shoulder pads and blue eyeshadow. The characters are kind of creepy. They're a bit weird. They're conceited and self-obsessed. I really disliked Marvin Summers and he had this very strange innocence in some ways. I mean, he's effectively trying to write the end of his novel. He receives a letter from what seems like an obsessed fan – Threatening to out him as the writer, Max Slate And he then proceeds to go through a series of events To actually get to the end of his novel So his life starts to imitate a story that would finish the book for him
0: You won't go so far as to call it art? (laughs)
3: Ah, It actually reminds me of an essay that I wrote when I was in grade six And I was going to one of those scholarship exams for a high school For one of those private high schools And the story that they ended up asking you to write was They wanted you to come up with something interesting and creative So I wrote a story which ended with the same sentence that I started with Right. So it actually reminds me of that So I think it's a cheap trick It's cheesy and it's crap But I still wanted to know the ending. I still wanted to know how the murder happened. I still wanted to know where the inspiration was from. I was grossed out by the fact that these are teenagers killing each other, but I still kind of wanted to know. I was just disappointed, I think, that it didn't – end up having the finesse of something creepy and horrible like a Paul Jennings that we were talking about before. I remember devouring those books and finding those short stories really kind of weird, really kind of gross, but really engaging and quite well written. I'd be interested to actually go and revisit one of those maybe in a future episode to see what it was like. This one felt like the dirty little secret for young boys reading, or, or girls, just young kids, I guess. A bit like some of the very cheap, tacky high school drama things that a lot of the girls that I knew consumed as well. But it was still engaging. I still found that I really I did want to I did want to get to the end, Keith. It was more entertaining than I expected.
0: Excellent. I'm happy to hear that because like I said, I didn't really want to waste <laughs> anyone's time with something that was painful to read
3: through. Oh, I think you totally wasted my time but it was more entertaining than <laughs> I expected.
0: <laughs> well okay, thanks for that. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> What did
1: you yourself think of it, Keith?
0: I must admit, like I've said about page 1, I was a little worried about the start of this book, but it proved to be pretty fast moving. There was a reasonable introduction to the key players in the opening chapters. It kind of built up to this point where I felt a mild attachment to Marvin. Sure, he wasn't really that likable a character, but when he switches from this guy with a very difficult family situation to this Rage-driven murderer It's pretty immediate And I'd say Christopher Pike values our time And that's why he was willing to sacrifice The key exposition through the middle of the book It could have included Marvin's depressive battle With internal demons And the Im- immense personal turmoil he suffers Before resolving to kill a fellow human But sometimes it's the things not written That are the most powerful It's
1: the subtlety of Christopher Pike The completely nonsensical decisions That his characters make <laughs>
0: Yeah, there wasn't anything leading up to that decision that said, okay, Marvin's the kind of guy that can just kill someone on a whim. But apparently he is. There was this supernatural aspect, which I touched on earlier. It was the way Marvin was able to write his most popular series through some sort of subconscious osmosis of what's happening around him.
1: That's not supernatural, though.
0: It's not normal. Mm. Well, maybe it is. I've already mentioned him, but I'm about to say Stephen King's actually said Or insinuated that he's written some of his own books this way Some of the later Dark Tower books in particular He's
2: gone off and killed a few people
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, the books have come to him subconsciously Rather than being thought up actively
2: Mm, That explains a few of his endings (laughs) (laughs) We've ticked that box Your bi-weekly criticism of Stephen King's endings
0: (laughs) Based on the one or two that you've read
2: Well, you keep bringing him up like the golden son of authordom. Were
0: you disappointed by the end of eleven twenty two sixty three I thought it was a
1: really poignant ending, actually, yeah,
2: oh, yeah, now I remember, yeah, it was okay, it was good, it was better than all these other ones, for sure,
0: okay, well, that's good, because that's my favorite king book, as I've said, Marvin was a pretty unlikable guy and becomes more unlikable as the story progresses at the start, He seems like a kind of reasonable guy who thinks he's intelligent and perceptive which is probably the case with most people at this stage of their lives. In reality, of course, he's anything but that, despite his prolific blockbuster writing ability, which seems unfounded based on everything else we know about him. (laughs) But maybe that's where the osmosis style of writing comes into it. But this makes him more relatable because as a teenager, you do have that kind of, what's the word for it? You're the centre of the universe, Pat. Arrogance. Yeah, you have that arrogance and that... Narcissism. Narcissism, yeah, exactly, all those things. So it's kind of believable in a character of that age.
2: Especially one that has become a blockbuster author, right? Like, if he's a bestseller and he's in high school, of course you're going to be an arrogant twat.
0: True, he would have that, but he didn't seem... That wasn't his stick. I don't think that's the group that he fell within.
2: Yeah, but he couldn't reveal himself. I think if he was in a position to reveal himself then he would have been just flashing cash and buying cars and all that kind of thing. That's true. But the only reason that he didn't do that is because if his parents, his alcoholic, abusive parents found out that he was a superstar, they would have taken all his money. Mm. So he was keeping quiet. But on the inside, he really wanted to party
0: hard. I'm sure that's true. And that's something we didn't really touch on. Like Larry said there, he's from this family. His dad doesn't live with them anymore. He's abusive, alcoholic. The mum also alcoholic, addicted to television and kind of zoned out from her life because of the struggles she's had. So it's not all Marvin's a jerk. There's a bit of a basis for him to have a dysfunctional understanding of relationships and adult relationships. But that also really serves to allow Christopher Pike to do what he does best, and that's have a teenager making foolish decisions. So I'll go back to Shelley. She's this master manipulator. Mm. Obviously she's very attractive and that's part of the appeal to Marvin although he does talk about her intelligence quite a bit in the book as well and that being one of the reasons why he's so attracted to her. But we don't really get to see that as a reader because nothing she does makes her appear to be intelligent or a critical thinker and her deductions about Marvin's master plan to get Harry to die are pretty wild and illogical. She... Somehow knew where Harry was hanging from the bridge Because that's where she took Marvin on their date She didn't know though how the whole thing played out Despite a very strong suspicion it was Marvin who was behind the death But that's only because she had figured out that he was Max Late This author of teenage fiction And that was what led her to believe that he had killed her ex
2: Which I think is pretty astute If she's the only person in the world that knew
3: Yeah
0: Yeah, true But she's also been very close to him They've gone on several dates previously which maybe was part of his appeal earlier because she had that idea that he was Max Slate. It's not that realistic, but it does lend some credibility, I guess, to her as a character. It sounds like I probably didn't like this book that much, but that was really far from my experience. This was an immensely fun book for me to read. I imagined Christopher Pike having a great time writing it, probably in some sort of deliriously exuberant state, recollecting the copious amounts of improper fan mail he'd received from dripping teenage girls. Oh. That's what it's like being a high-selling author of young adult fiction, right, Mac? Very <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. I should say. Did
2: you say dripping teenage girls? <laughs> I did. He did. <laughs> Jesus Christ!
0: That was tapping into the anyway. I was tapping into I- something. I- <laughs> I don't
2: want to know oh what. my
3: God! You guys, you need to mind your language, all of you. <laughs>
2: It wasn't me. It wasn't me either. I was showing shock and outrage. (laughs)
3: Pat, you said tapping into. No, that
1: wasn't wasn't a double (laughs) entendre.
0: (laughs) Not intentionally. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't touch on that. I had some notes about that. But the way that Marvin, after becoming slightly relatable, quickly turns to the path of a murderer, a big fan of phone sex with random female fans.
3: (sighs)
2: It's just weird. It's a bit weird, though, because nobody knows who Max Slate is, so you automatically assume an author is 30-plus years old, right? Generally, yeah. Nobody in this world imagined that it was a teenage boy writing these books. So all of these teenage girls are writing, like, can somebody read that letter? Just so our listeners can hear how inappropriate it is.
3: Dear Mr Slate, I love your books. I love you. I feel like I know you. I see you in your work a part here, a piece there. I have this fantasy about you that you are really God and we are all just characters in your stories, or maybe that you're the devil and that you are going to lead us into wicked sin. I fantasize about these things all the time. I had this dream about you last night. I'm a senior in high school and in gym, we still have to take showers. In my dream, I was alone in the showers, naked, and you came walking in wearing a black tux. At first, I was shy, even when you told me you were because I didn't believe that you were the real Max Slate. But then you started kissing me under the warm shower and your hands were all over my body and I knew it was you. I <laughs> do we have to... You were like the devil because you were so forceful, but it was so good, the sex, that you were like God as well. You can see that I'm a real big fan. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to write back to me and give me your phone number. I want you to give me directions to your house. I want you to fly me to your front doorstep. I want a part of you, a piece of you, and in return I'm going to give you all of me. I think it will be sweet. Don't keep me waiting. Long love you, Becky. Becky.
2: Alright, so apart from that deliberately stilted reading, thanks for (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? I think that that actual piece of writing there was actually quite clever. It's disgusting, right? Because it's a 16-year-old girl writing to a theoretical 30, 40-year-old author. Man, right? Becky's a freak, man. It's creepy, <laughs> but that letter itself, to me, that read like something you'd see in Stephen King. Obviously, maybe not quite as developed, but you know that whole mixing of God and religion into teenage sex... It was very wrong as far as fan letters go. I I can't imagine a more suitably creepy one to slot into the middle of a horror book than that. I actually thought that was clever writing, even though it's so creepy and disgusting.
3: I think you're wrong.
0: (laughs) I'm agreeing with Laurie there. Something being uncomfortable to read doesn't make it bad, and it was uncomfortable to read, but I also feel there's a shred of truth to it, and I don't know whether it's books or letters that Christopher Pike had received himself that were exaggerated here because that's something that commonly is done in this sort of books. Everything is an exaggeration of real life and I don't feel that it was out of place here. Like Laurie said, it was clever to include these letters to expand the world beyond just Interactions with Shelley and Marvin
3: I think if this was a quality novel And that this was actually Trying to make a point about External characters rather than be a little Bit salacious to sell a few copies to Some more teenage boys for their I don't know, what, wet dreams?
0: I think you're overplaying the teenage boys aspect, to be honest I've actually done a bit of research into Christopher Pike books And they were actually really popular amongst teenage girls as well Mm. In fact, there's a published author of a fantasy series of books That is a huge fan of Christopher Pike
3: Anyway, my point is that if this was actually written as a quality piece of writing Then you can get away with some of those things But it's not, it's just tacky
1: Can I segue into what I think of it? Because that's actually where I was going to go.
3: Yes, great.
1: It is a bubblegum, trash kind of read. I think that's where the real discomfort for me came from in reading it because I started out reading it as this bubblegum book where it was light, there was a bit of a mystery. It was a page turner. and I think that's one of the quality things about it is that it was a page turner. But then it did start to drag in these complicated issues and problematic issues and Max Slate Marvin whatever his name is sort of becomes disillusioned with the object of his affection because she is seeing somebody else and he has this absolute psychopathic turn where suddenly she's a slut and she's a whore and he's going to murder her and the pure misogynistic kind of rage just took me out of that bubblegum mode and really threw me for a loop because it's kind of revolting. And I think breathes on the money there that if you're going to tackle these issues, if you want content like in this in your book, you need to do it well. You need to do it justice and you need to sort of examine the issues rather than throwing them in because they are heavy because they're salacious because they Arouse some interest in readership for whatever reason. It's not really good enough to say this is something that happens in the world and it's something that I'm going to chuck in my book. You need to examine it with some level of introspection, I guess.
0: Can I just say that in this case, this was an action Shelley had taken to elicit that exact response from Marvin?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I mean, I, I feel. I,
0: Can you comment on that in the context of the book?
1: I feel like that's a pretty weak plot point But because for me there was no established reason for Marvin to react the way that he did And when he did react the way that he did In deciding that he was going to murder his girlfriend and her other partner Or his prospective girlfriend and her other prospective partner
0: No, that's not actually correct (laughs) Sorry to break in on your point But he's only going to murder her partner, not her
3: That's a bit grey He's not sure whether he saw her or not
0: No, he didn't see her at all
1: I'm pretty sure he was intending to kill her as well He was on the night No On the specific night in question He was planning on killing the gym dude Whatever his name is Triad Triad (laughs) Triad
0: I'll just interject and give a bit of context to this So basically Marvin in a plan to kill Triad Rigs up the same rope that had failed Harry previously Oh dear lord (laughs) And here's his bike Carrying Triad He assumes because he's lost his Binoculars at this point across the bridge And knowing that he's coming back He rigs up the rope to take down the bike However when he returns He sees Shelley on the bike Along with Triad and Removes the rope so that it doesn't pull them down There was never any intention For Shelley to be killed It was very well laid out and very Clearly almost transparent In the fact that there was no intention from Marvin to kill Shelley.
1: I feel like in the lead-up, he was sort of mentally including, not in this specific act, not in this motorbike trappy setting, but he's intending to potentially carry on with his murder spree and also kill Shelley, kill the pair of them. I didn't get that. Regardless, he just, like, flips this revolting switch for no particular reason and he does like lay out the uh real nasty terminology and stuff that I talked about before that's like pretty clearly in there and it just doesn't do any of it justice really it's also threadbare for this kind of content like it's it's just kind of gratuitous and that was what really took me out of it despite sort of feeling that it had a lot of potential it ultimately felt a bit wish fulfillment-ish up there with Oakley in terms of venerated language to use for these kinds of things it felt like wish fulfillment in the wealth in the very sort of surface level sexuality that cropped up throughout it was just by and large kind of a troubling read for what I hoped would be a very easy read what about you Laurie or does anyone want to comment on that
0: there definitely was some troubling things in there And I touched on it in a sort of humorous way In my own remarks about the book That we didn't see the reason for Marvin To turn from a kind of normalish guy Apart from his blockbuster writing To this
2: killer Come on guys, there was explanations there Sure it changes quickly in the book But he's lived in an abusive family yeah. He writes horrible books about murder and death And mayhem of teenagers I'm not surprised that he had some Issues that resulted in him flipping the switch I don't think that's
1: fair to people who write books about death and mayhem to teenagers
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's come from this broken home But what I didn't see though is in his character I didn't see that ability In his writing, sure, like Pat's just said It's not fair to draw that conclusion That someone that can write about this sort of thing Is also capable of carrying it out in real life It's a very big distinction between the two but yeah, go on, Laurie, because I'm liking your general vibe there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there's a
2: glimmer of positivity, quick. <laughs>
0: like I said, I went into this fully blind, so I'm enjoying this for the ride that it is. It's very interesting to me, actually, the critical analysis that we've foisted on this book.
2: Yeah, right. Well, there's a couple of points here. And the first is that, yes, I think there's a bit of gratuity, a bit of aiming at hormone fueled adolescence. The thing about mystery books and murder books is there's always a twist. And the twist here is that I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I knew the writing was pretty dodgy. Yes, there's some things that in modern society we've come to understand and educate people about in much better ways. But the actual book itself, I read it as quick as I could. I was thrown right back into teenagership. I could understand why it was so popular. I thought it was interesting. I loved it. I love the ending, because the ending reminded me a lot of... Big spoiler here for... Uh, what was the name of the book? The, there was a movie recently, it had Ben... Uh, uh, Gone Girl? Yeah, go, that's right. The, the ending reminded me a lot of Gone Girl, where both of the lead characters... Spoiler alert. Both of the lead characters recognise that they're both seriously mentally... Uh, mm, Have a lot of mental issues But they stick it out or just agree to go on So I feel like Gone Girl might have been written Having read this book Yeah, why not? Other books have been written
0: with Pike in mind So why not? And I'm really glad to hear you say that Because that's the way I read this book as well Like I never was planning or never thought That this would hold up to any sort of critical assessment But that wasn't what this book was aiming to do This is a book that's all about reading for fun And appealing to those kind of taboo areas that may be of interest to teenagers. And I think this obviously did that and did it successfully because as part of a writing library that Christopher Pike established, it stands out at how many other authors have more than 50 books published.
1: Don't at a certain point, you have to hold up stuff like despite its purpose and say this is kind of troubling content, whether it's written for fun or whether it's written to be a serious piece of work. It has to be examined through the same kind of lens.
2: Does it? I don't think you addressed the redeeming of the character enough. Was the character redeemed even at all, though?
3: No. He wasn't? Yeah.
2: He wasn't at all? No. I think so.
1: How was he redeemed? Remotely?
3: By <laughs> finishing his story and earning more millions.
2: He didn't perform the murder of his original target. He had the opportunity to probably kill everybody and didn't. He walked away. He
3: aids and abets and thinks it's wonderful that his now psychopathic girlfriend is the person that killed and made him more millions.
0: Mm, I don't know about that.
1: (laughs) They banged it out at the end on the grave of a schoolchild.
0: A murderer? He wasn't
1: redeemed.
0: Hang on a second. On the grave of a (laughs) schoolchild.
1: He was. was.
0: Deliberately provocative language there. (laughs) (laughs) Given that they're of the same age themselves and they didn't actually bang it out. (laughs) They never actually, despite the characters that were representative of them having sex, they never actually did themselves, interestingly.
1: Maybe I do a disservice to my point by over-exaggerating there, but they make out on the grave of their murder victim at the end of the book, who is
2: Triad, which is... It's not a a light book It's not a comedy It's not It's not a a fun action adventure It's a book about murder Triad Murdered Harry It's written as a romp though It's written as a light fun book And that's
1: where I have the problem
0: It's a thriller and it's horror It sure may have some fun about it But... It's exaggerated. You can't draw comparisons between books like this, and there's hundreds of thousands of them, and reality and say, well, that's not very responsible of the author.
1: I feel that you can,
0: and I am. (laughs) Why should you, though? Why should fiction be representative of nonfiction, and why should it dictate how we behave in reality?
1: I don't think it should be representative. I don't think it needs to be representative. I just think it needs to be responsible. That's all. I don't think you should be flippant. There's a million other things that you could write about. Really? Yeah, absolutely.
2: This is coming from the guy that loves a Charlie Parker book where the body count is 500 or 1,000 kills. There's (laughs) blood and murder everywhere. Where in this case, there's two deaths. There's also some gratuitous
3: references to young women and some fairly salacious content with no juxtaposition and no justification. That's not comfortable reading
0: There is a juxtaposition She is the film noir Black Widow if you like
3: Becky the 16 year old who writes a letter for no purpose Other than to titillate whoever's
2: reading it It's not right But that letter is mixed up with horror as well The craziness of that penned letter It's not just a sex letter It's a horror twisted sex letter
1: but then yes. it's packaged in a book for, like, young teens. Like you said, it's
0: a
2: reading level 11 years old, which is...
0: It's not actually for reading level 11 years
2: old. Yeah, that was my criticism where I think the book is aimed at older teens. Pat, why do you think the book was so popular? Oh, well, I think it's readable. I think it's super readable, like I said. Flicking
1: through the pages, I smashed out in one sitting because it's an intriguing book. And I think the sort of sexual element is definitely titillating, or would be titillating for people of a teenage demographic
2: on that point do you think that the sex in the book was just sex for sex sake or do you feel that there was motivations behind the sex
1: no i, th- I think largely it was sex for sex sake none of it was particularly compelling the characters were two dimensional to the extreme like there was no examination of the people in this book or why they might behave in the way that they did to any extent beyond what you would see in like a 20 minute cartoon. like It made a nod towards this kind of abusive home life. This character was just a cardboard cutout for what you might wish to be as a teenage boy, sort of rich and being draped over by
0: multitudinous women. In his own way, he was still very naive. He wasn't actually being draped over by women. That was this character that he'd created to write these books.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying he wasn't sort of naive or anything, but like the relationship that's set up between the audience and the character is... One of gratification and wish fulfilment He didn't actually take
2: advantage of that though Apart from when he went mental and started having fun Oh god, which is the whole point (laughs) (laughs) He was under a lot of psychological distress at the time He
3: didn't do it because he needed to wait until he got his money And then I can guarantee you that he would have
0: I will say that if you had to take anything out of the book that was disturbing to me It was the phone sex with these girls that had written to him And sent their numbers to Mm -hmm.
2: him The reality of that is it's teenage girls and a teenage boy It's just another one of these things that adds to the overall picture of him being a hidden teenage author
3: For the first, I would say easily the third I was engaged and kind of wanting to know how it was going to end And I still wanted to know right towards the end It was an interesting way of unpicking a plot But it doesn't take away that there were parts in particular that were deliberately unattractive and salacious and, I thought, unnecessary.
0: That grotesqueness in the characters is something that is common in Christopher Pike books from my understanding. That's what he does. He finds like an element of truth in teenagers and then he exaggerates it to this grotesque level and that's what is appealing about it. It's something that isn't actually that common outside of horror.
3: I didn't mind that so much. It was the gratuitous... Yuckness! It's uncomfortable. Okay, I've been a teenage girl, right? I just I don't need to read more of that sort of stuff.
2: I don't think you are supposed to finish the book and actually like or admire any of the characters. Max Slate slash Marvin has deliberately tried to kill someone. Shelley has tried to mastermind the death of Marvin. Triad has already murdered one person, violently assaults two more, and would. Try and kill them both If he could By the end of the book But ends up dying himself At the hands of Shelley So there's no one in the book Apart from maybe Poor Anne Who's sitting on the sidelines Who's Marvin's sister There's nobody In the story That you're supposed to Finish the book and say I feel good about this character Like they're the hero There's no hero in this book It's a grim Bloody mess And at the end You've got Two characters That are Essentially going to be broken, I think, for the rest of their lives. That's what made me think so much of Gone Girl. At the end of Gone Girl, you hate both mm. lead characters. You, you want to slap them silly because they are just such defeated and sort broken. of trapped characters. Yeah, and broken emotionally. And you hate them for it. I guess to a lesser degree, I felt the same way at the end of this book, but I liked the way we got there. I liked how all of these characters, you start off a normal high school situation, there's somebody that looks like he's got the world in his hands and it just descends into this grim, bloody mess. And I think that's something that is really uncommon. I can understand, you know, it's been a long discussion about the things that you didn't like in this book, but I, I liked that this book took us to a dark place and left us there. I think that's a good summation. What's next?
0: I've got some... 90s stuff in store for us here So let's all just reset And (laughs) (laughs) and participate in my 90s would you rather
1: Revert to the tone of an entertaining podcast (laughs) Yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather Be a character in an R.L. Stein book or a Christopher Pike book
2: Oh, I don't know if I've read any R.L. Stein I don't
1: know R.L. Stein or oh, I'm an Arlstein fan, and I just gave Stein as an example of good wholesome family entertainment. So I'm gonna have to go with, with Stein. Does that mean there's no boobies in jacuzzis? Because, <laughs> oh, God, not that I recall. No, I, Stein was pretty much straight down that horror line. It was very much Stephen King for kids, complete with the the twist endings that may or may have not been a little bit naff. How far does it go then? Do they have murders like they did in this book? No, I don't think they do. It's more like being really freaked out that there's a haunted dummy, like a ventriloquist doll living in the house with you and creeping you out at night and that kind of thing. Like Scooby-Doo, but Scooby-Doo for an older age group, obviously. Yeah, yeah.
2: Based on the discussion that we've just had, (laughs) Goosebumps sounds a bit lamer. It sounds like there's potential for more adult fun in a Christopher Pike book. But on the other hand, I don't want to be dead. (laughs) (laughs) True. Maybe I'll go goosebumps and breathe.
3: Neither, neither. Paul Jennings. I will be in a Paul Jennings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can't neither in a would you rather?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I can. I plead. I plead. I'll let you for that one. D.
0: (laughs) But after that, there's no more. All right. All right. Neithering number two. Would you rather live in a mansion in Beverly Hills, but you're Donna Martin, aka Tory Spelling? Or live in the Melrose Place apartment complex and you're Amanda Woodward, a.k.a. Heather Locklear.
2: 100% I'd be Heather Locklear and I don't think I'd be going outside very much.
1: (laughs) Now I'm in Bree's position that I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, so...
3: Oh, the curse of youth. (laughs) um,
1: Yeah. I would opt to be in a Paul Jennings book. (laughs) 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 What about you, Bree?
2: (laughs) You guys are
0: lame.
3: Amanda Woodward for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She kicked ass. I read that she was in the first season only as a peripheral character and because she was so popular, she moved into the building.
2: Yeah. Was Heather Locklear the only attractive character on that show? No.
0: there was Billy, Andrew Shue. He was hot stuff.
2: Billy. I don't remember what Andrew Shue looked like.
3: Shaggy hair like all the 90s guys.
0: Shaggy hair and like
2: Peter Andre style abs. Billy Shue's a man. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, let me repeat my question. <laughs> <laughs> Was Heather Lockley the only attractive female character on the
0: show? No, there was multiple others. The red-headed woman from... Oh, so memorable. The
3: woman that went on to Desperate Housewives.
0: Yeah, that's who I'm talking about, yeah. Kimberly? That was probably her name in the show. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Laura Layton. the one with
2: dark hair that was kind of French looking that I never saw again.
3: Courtney Thorne-Smith.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was okay.
3: Grant Show, Doug Savant.
0: Doug Savant was in Desperate Housewives as well, I think.
3: Yeah, he was.
0: So would you rather watch Titanic on an endless loop or watch Batman and Robin on an endless loop?
3: Uh, Batman and Robin.
2: I think that one would kill you first, so I'd probably do that. (laughs) Titanic wasn't the worst, and you have to watch it less times because it's so damn long. True. (laughs) Oh... And just to add to the salaciousness, it's the only one that has boobies, right? uh, Well,
0: the Batman in Batman and Robin has nipples, so... Oh, does. He's got bat nipples. (laughs) Would you rather rock a floral off-the-shoulder midriff top or grunge it up with band tees and flannelette shirts?
3: (laughs) I recognise
2: some of (laughs) these. I changed my answer. Yes, I would definitely and have had. Worn flannel
3: <laughs> I rocked both Because oh, you can tie your flannelette shirt around your waist When you've got your floral midriff top off the shoulder
0: Oh, you wear them in unison?
3: You can wear them in unison, yes wow. Although it wasn't a floral one My oh, okay. first concert that I went to was like John Bon Jovi Yep And I wore, get this, midriff black top With Tencel jeans and a flannelette shirt tied around my waist And my Doc Martin 10-ups
0: <laughs> I don't know what Tencel jeans are
3: you don't know what tensile jeans, well, no. well Keith, it is a very, very soft denim is all I can say <laughs> Okay,
0: you're grunging it up, Laurie?
2: Definitely would and have done And Pat? Ditto, flannel sounds great to me
0: Would you rather be eaten off the toilet by a T-Rex or have a loved one's head sent to you in a box?
3: Eaten off the toilet by a T-Rex, at least that way my loved ones are still alive
1: yeah. yeah, I feel like essentially this is Would you rather die or have a family <laughs> member die?
0: It's not much of a question <laughs> The
1: only appropriate answer is to be eaten by a T-Rex Which is not something I will say very often in my life
2: <laughs> I have the same answer But purely for the reason that even though I die There's now dinosaurs back in the world Good work Conservationist, Laurie <laughs> Not conservationist, like that would be awesome Chaos theory, ah, the terror
0: Would you rather have the latest, greatest Nokia 3210 mobile phone with T9 predictive text (laughs) but the Snake game doesn't work or be stuck on your (gasps) dumpy 5110 with an epic high score in Snake?
2: You know what? 5110.
3: 5110. That was really hard. Snake is
2: life.
1: I'm not that desperate for Snake. Come on.
3: 5110. That game was really hard and I worked hard to get my high score.
1: You're both losers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather be Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth, or be Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins? But you can't speak; you can only sing.
3: Can you please sing a few words from Smash Mouth? So hey now, you're an all-star,
1: once told me you're both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> totally Smash Mouth.
1: Oh, you're insane!
3: Yeah, but all I can do is sing.
1: So why wouldn't you want to sing like Billy Corgan With amazing Smashing Pumpkins songs Instead of Smash Mouth <laughs> Like I feel like it makes it even easier Because everything that comes
3: out of Billy Corgan loneliness and loneliness is Absolutely. friendliness And friendliness is godliness And God is empty just like me na, 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 na. So you're
0: coming around, yeah. Bree, on the Corgan?
3: Patrick, you are too young to know that song
0: I
1: know good music
3: I'm going to look that song up and find out exactly how old you were when that was being
2: released. Uh, Laurie? Billy Corgan, for sure. I mean, the Smashing Pumpkins are just fantastic, and he's super tall, and he's got that whole... What's he Is it Fenster? What's the name of the the bald dude from Munster? I don't know. From what? What? One of the Adams family.
0: Uh, Uncle Fester. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the whole Uncle Fester thing going hey, on. How is that a good thing? <laughs> If you can't talk, you uh, leave out Billy Corgan's biggest downside as well (laughs) Yeah, he sounds like the guy that played Michael Jackson in The Simpsons Oh, really?
0: The big, tall, bald prisoner man (laughs) So I've inadvertently made Billy Corgan actually better than he really is So
3: 1996, how old were you, Patrick?
1: I would have been 9, 10 Oh,
0: God, you were ahead of
3: your time
1: (laughs) I was singing God is Empty just like me way back then.
3: <laughs> You must have come to it later, surely <laughs> Yeah,
1: I, I, did, I did come to it later, substantially later than 96 I'm afraid I was probably listening to uh, 5 back then A little bit of everybody get
3: up singing
1: 5 will make you get down now yeah. Says you know? the
0: man who criticises other people's taste in music <laughs>
1: <laughs> I caught more flack for my taste in music than anybody else
2: on this podcast <laughs> oh, it's because you listen to some crap <laughs> <laughs> The Smashing Pumpkins Apart from the Whitlam's who came to Tamworth The Smashing Pumpkins were the first bands that I got to see in concert in Sydney They were amazing, but what made it even better Is I got a free ticket wow. I was Walking past the venue outside While I was in the middle of a school excursion from Tamworth and this seedy-looking guy says, hey, you guys. And we're like, yeah, what? Expecting to be diddled or something. <laughs> Pulled into the back of a van. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, you want a couple of free tickets? And we're like, um, yes. And he hands us the two tickets, walks in. We see that he's wearing a Triple M t-shirt and walked out of a Triple M van. And for the people outside Australia, Triple M is just some crappy rock station. And he walks in and scans his ticket and gets in. And I'm like... I think this is going to work. And we went inside and watched the Smashing Pumpkins and it was amazing. So definitely Billy Corgan for me. And how good are the Whitlam's, by the way? <laughs> yeah, great. In fact, I had the opportunity to interview Tim Friedman. We like, could be um, here all the- night. Keep
3: moving. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: pretty much have been here all night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you rather be a rich 90s child star but have to live your life rollerblading everywhere wearing keppers? Everyone know what keppers no. are? No. No. Keppers were those really baggy pants that became a big 90s fad after crisscross and the like started wearing that style of pants. Wearing really baggy pants while rollerblading, quite difficult. Or the option is to be a normal 90s kid, so you only rollerblade on weekends and you wear your keppers on special occasions only.
2: (laughs) I'd go rich kid. Because I like rollerblading and I prefer my pants baggy Again, Keith, inadvertently you
1: have just added more benefits to the first one <laughs> Rather than <laughs> thinking that you were putting a downside in
0: Yeah, I'll take that
1: Brie? Brie likes rollerblades too Next one, Keith
0: <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather be the ugliest member of the Backstreet Boys Or the ugliest
2: member of the Spice Girls?
3: Was there an unattractive member of either of those, really? Spice Girl, Brit pop all the way
2: Yeah, Spice Girl for me, probably for the same reason as I chose Heather Locklear (laughs) I actually
1: probably liked the Backstreet Boys more at the time, so I'm going to go Backstreet Boys
2: (laughs)
3: Backstreet's back, back, all All right right.
0: (laughs) Keith? Yes
2: Who was the ugliest member of the Backstreet Boys? Uh,
0: That's a good question, but in my theoretical would you rather, you could be an additional member that's uglier than the rest.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, if the stipulation is that I'm less attractive than a group of men who are widely accepted to be ridiculously attractive, I'm not too upset about that.
0: (laughs) I think there's that kind of effect, and it's there for both the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls, that individually... Cheerleader effect. That might be what I'm getting at. In numbers, they look more attractive.
2: Yeah, yeah, they call it the cheerleader effect. Yeah, there you go.
0: Would you rather be the stereotypical pretty popular girl who realises that there's more to life than being popular or be the diamond in the rough who gets made over by the popular girl then becomes popular before finally realising that there's more to life than being popular?
2: If you both end up at the same philosophical position, I'd rather be the attractive person.
0: The other is attractive. Haven't
2: you seen... She's the one She's the one (laughs) Yeah, but Alright, so you're in the same philosophical position at the end You're both attractive at the end One of them requires a hell of a lot less maintenance It's a no-brainer Who
0: requires less maintenance?
2: The attractive one versus the ugly duckling that has to get doled up every time No, that's not the case They're not
0: ugly They're just alternative in the start And then they get made over into this stereotypical pretty girl
2: Well, see, I was about to say, all right, fine, I'll go for the Ugly Duckling because at least they're an alternative to begin with and that's my jam. But then they sell out, so I don't know, man. I'm lost. It's too (laughs) conflicting. So I pick Rollerblades.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That question was a bit of a, you know, I was having fun with that.
2: Don't ask me no rhetoricals.
0: (laughs) Would you rather that everything you drink tastes like West Coast coolers or everything you drink tastes like a Midori Illusion? Laurie, you're excused from this.
3: Nope, 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 nope. Lemon Rusky. Everything has to taste like a lemon rusky.
0: I was tossing up between Lemon Rusky and Midori Illusion in this yeah. one. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well played, Keith. <laughs> in a shaker Ooh. while standing on the bar at Icon Bar. Oh, dear.
2: Fun fact <laughs> I've only tasted four alcohols in my life and West Coast Cooler. Was one of them, and it was the tastiest <laughs> mm. It's very, very sweet You
3: would like a League
2: Yeah, I'm sure I would You have an
1: immature palate at this stage, I think, Laurie
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of them was Bundy IP Rum, and it was not so good
1: <laughs> I don't know if I've had any of those things I don't mind Midori, though, so sign me up You're so young <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you rather look like Kurt Cobain and sound like Courtney Love Or look like Courtney Love and sound like Kurt Cobain?
1: I don't think either of them have particularly astounding Sort of singing voices or anything Neither of them are known for their angelic tones
3: Look like Kurt Cobain Sound like Courtney Love She's amazing She completely rocks it Her voice is great
2: Well yeah I'd rather look like Kurt Cobain But only because if you washed his hair He'd look pretty attractive I'd say Like he's got beautiful blue eyes But that greasy hair man
3: His greasy hair like typified the 90s Yeah true Patrick was in nappies; he wouldn't understand.
1: <laughs> Wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> he died in
3: 1994.
1: Yeah, I was pretty young when he died, but I obviously high schoolers continued to go through Kurt Cobain phases for the next 20 years. So,
3: yes, true.
2: Yeah, Kurt Cobain. I probably wouldn't be doing much singing, Mo. I'd just be getting about looking like Kurt Cobain. <laughs> you wouldn't want to open your mouth, though. You'd probably put people off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Would you rather live in the fictional town of Springfield Or the fictional town of South Park, Colorado?
3: Springfield
1: I've never really watched South Park, so Springfield
2: hmm. I'm going to have to say Colorado Because while there is an increased chance of being attacked by a talking poo There's probably less chance of dying of radiation poisoning
0: <laughs> True And I'm just going to close out our 90s with a 90s showdown Laurie, your first Girlfriend or Spice Girls? Girlfriend Pat, Fresh Prince or Family Matters?
1: Oh, f- fuck me, man uh, Classic
3: <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't understand It's hilarious It's like the I'm there. talking another
1: language <laughs> Is this what do I prefer? Like, I guess like I've heard of Fresh Prince before So Fresh Prince <laughs> Oh,
3: God
0: <laughs> Bree, Hypercolor or Kepers?
3: Hypercolor.
0: Laurie, Screech or Mr Belding?
2: Oh, fantastic. I just have to go back. My brother, he had hypercolour underwear. <laughs> and Every time he farted, they changed colour <laughs> the back. I
3: had an oversized hypercolour t-shirt. I loved it.
2: Can you repeat the question? I was too
0: busy laughing at my brother's <laughs> farts. It's Screech or Mr Belding? Screech. Pat, rollerblades or freestyle skateboarding?
1: Oh, man, I know the cool answer is freestyle skateboarding, but Rollerblades.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bree, Vanilla Ice or MC Hammer?
3: Oh, that's like choosing your left hand or your right hand. (laughs) Ice, ice baby. Only because it also is the riff in Under Under pressure. Pressure. Yeah, which I love.
0: Laurie, Hercules or Xena? Hercules. Pat, Pamela Anderson or The Hoff? <laughs> uh, the Hoff Brie, Nirvana or Metallica? Nirvana Laurie, Sequest DSV or Ocean Girl?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sequest, 100%.
3: Jonathan Brandis, ah, oh, sigh. Darwin, <laughs>
2: Pat,
0: Pearl Jam or Nine Inch Nails? Uh,
1: Nine Inch Nails.
3: Incorrect.
2: Nah no, correct, <laughs> definitely correct
0: Way correct Brie, Jurassic Park or Lion King? Uh,
3: Lion King
0: Laurie, Hey Arnold or Arthur? <laughs> Pat's going to get some revenge yeah. here maybe This
1: is my jam, this is my jam Paul Jennings book <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Pat, Clueless or Forrest Gump? Clueless What? Brie, Oasis or Green Day? Oasis Laurie, American Psycho or Fight Club? Fight Club. Pat, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat? Yeah. Bree, Doom or Quake?
3: I don't know what that is.
0: Just say Doom. Definitely Doom.
3: I don't know what that is.
0: You're getting Jennings that one. Laurie, Silver Chair or The Living End?
3: <gasps> That's my question! <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, silver Chair. Yay! Barely. Oh, come on, that good stuff.
0: Pat, Ugly Kid Joe or No Doubt? No Doubt. Yeah, that was unfair, that one. <laughs> Bree, Backstreet Boys or In Sync.
3: No, Backstreet Boys for sure. Backstreet yeah.
2: Boys.
0: Mm. Laurie, The Book Place or Agro's Cartoon Connection?
2: <laughs> Agro's Cartoon Connection. The outtakes are fantastic. Oh,
0: really? Because of Jamie Dunn?
2: He's a smutty, smutty man. <laughs>
0: Moretz or Chasing Amy?
2: Ooh. um,
0: That's actually kind of hard. Chasing Amy. Bree, Ren or Stimpy?
2: What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, joy, Ren.
0: That was good. It's a cartoon that was a bit edgy. Ren and Stimpy are a cat and a dog that have an absurd relationship Hmm. and get into all sorts of hijinks.
2: It is intense. It's like... Rick and Morty, right? Ah, okay That level of intense humour Okay
0: Yeah, and Ren is the more intelligent of the two Stimpy is the ignorance is bliss cat
2: The cat
3: sounds fine Is one of them a dog?
0: Yeah, Ren is a dog He's the one that's disillusioned
3: I always pick a dog over a cat
0: He's a chihuahua A chihuahua He's the least of the dogs A chihuahua is a cat (laughs) (laughs) Laurie, salt or pepper?
3: Salt, I don't know <laughs> Salt and pepper,
2: you know I don't remember them okay. very well
0: Let's talk about sex, what a man, mm-hmm. sheep Definitely salt Pat, Who Dares Wins or Gladiators?
1: Uh, oh, <laughs> this is a left hand, right hand sort of question These are both like paragons <laughs> of excellence in the 90s uh, Probably
2: Who Dares Wins uh, If only it was the 80s, we could have had It's a Knockout Oh
0: Yes <laughs> yes. Bree, Pokemon or Ninja Turtles? I
3: think Ninja Turtles because I know about Donatello And I know nothing about Pokemon
0: Laurie, Ghost or Sixth Sense? Sixth Sense Pat, Whoopi or Demi?
1: Are you scoring these or is there an end to the, the list of things? That we'll be <laughs> these are answering? awesome
0: There's no scoring, it's just a fun walk down memory lane Hopefully fun
1: What were they again?
0: Whoopi or Demi? Uh, Demi Bree, Wayne or Garth?
3: Ah, oh, I don't know which is which.
0: Wayne is the darker haired one. He's the one that's more outgoing. Mike Myers. Garth is the blonde one with glasses that's a bit afraid of everything.
3: Hmm, sure, I'll go Wayne.
0: And finally, Laurie, Tailspin or Animaniacs?
2: Ah, oh, um, Animaniacs. Yeah, Animaniacs was the more mature of the two. United States, Canada, Mexico, Panada, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru. <laughs> believe I don't remember that.
0: Are we up to scoring? Yeah, I was going to do a nine oh two one showdown between characters, but I feel like there's probably not enough knowledge of the show outside of myself and Bree to make this one work. So let's move on.
2: I remember Jenny Garth.
0: Yeah, she was my favourite too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, Brian Austin Green.
2: Oh man, I am done with the nineties. Exciting trip down memory lane for sure. Thanks, Keith. Time to score, LB. Well, seeing as Marvin is such a crap name I thought I'd try and rustle up some more from film Because it's much easier to search than book characters So for scoring, we're going to go with 1. Marvin Blake from the 1932 film The Cabin in the Cotton B-grade, unknown to mostly everyone and better left in landfill 2. Two stars Marvin the Robot from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Thoroughly Depressing but with flashes of glum humour I Marvin the Robot is too wow. There's not many options <laughs> when you're searching for Marvin okay, All right. Right. <laughs> Marvin from Pulp Fiction Man, I don't even have an opinion Blam, I'm ahead oh, He's the guy <clears throat> in the back of the car, is he? He is, yes Poor old Marvin, he gets a few lines But yeah, comes to a, a surprise ending Marvin Acme from Who Killed Roger Rabbit Lovable, but lost in the haze of brighter, longer-burning stars. Or five, Marvin the Martian. Greetings, Earthling. I will disintegrate you with fearsome power. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's go with Bree. Get the dirty stuff out of the way first.
3: One star, move on.
2: Wow, bam. (laughs) Patrick? I'm going to throw it a one as well. (laughs) Sorry Keith Holy shmolly
0: Macaroli Keith? I'm going to go midway between Marvin and Marvin (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I'm going three and a half stars for this one I really had fun reading it And I imagine Christopher Pike had a lot of fun writing it What did you score this book?
2: Yeah I'm not on board with SJWs I, I hate that term Don't use that term this had such mass appeal to a teenage hormone fueled audience And I'll give it four stars Great fun Thank you, as always, for listening Feel free to share your thoughts with us on Facebook or Twitter At Seeking Tumnus Particularly if you're SJW that's picked up this book <sighs> I'm vehemently offended
3: That's really derogatory We're going to have a discussion <laughs> <laughs>
2: Next episode, it's Laurie's choice, so rather than use his imagination like Keith, he's going back to the well with another fantasy book. (laughs) Actually, I'm pretty excited about this one because it's a recommendation for one of our first fans. It's the book Northern Lights by Phil Pullman. Thanks, Drewdrops. Until then, beware the ulterior motives of floozies in jacuzzis and keep reading. uh uh-huh. your mother.